0: Well, good morning again. Good to see everyone. Um, if you have your Bible with you, um, you can go to the book of 1 Peter. Um, it's nearly at the end of the Bible, not too far before the end. So first. Peter. We're going to be in chapter 2 this morning, and I'm excited to open God's Word together this morning. We need it. I need God's Word. You need it. You need God's Word, and we need that together. And so um, my hope and prayer this morning is as we walk through this passage that our hearts would be encouraged, our hearts would be um, turned towards the Lord and reminded of how much we need Him to be faithful to live out what He has called us to live out. And so um, you are, if you've been tracking with us, um, or if you're new to the series this morning, this is the third week of our series called Exiles, and this is a study in First and Second Peter. In this whole series, um, we're looking at how as, as exiles, we can live faithful lives in a broken world. And as we started this series, we've gotten some background on what that means to be an exile. Um, it's a little bit different. It's not like the, you know, you can use that word of like, you know, Napoleon was exiled to an island. He was like sent to like, kind of like imprisoned there. But for us, it's more of the meaning of, um, Scripture also uses the word sojourner or pilgrim or that that sense of, passing through, not this not being our true home. And so this letter was written by Peter, who was one of Jesus's disciples. And he was, at this time, he was a leader in the early church. And he wrote to what, in, verse, in chapter one, verse one, he says, he wrote to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion What's that mean? It means that these people that he's writing to had been scattered all over Asia Minor, what we would know today as modern day Turkey. they had been scattered because of persecution, but also because of the mission that Jesus had given them to go and make disciples of all nations. And so as these people are going out and scattering all over, they are living in places that is not their for them was not their home, was not Jerusalem or you know, places in Israel. They were scattered in different places, people all over the place. So Peter writes to encourage them and equip them to follow Jesus, even when it's difficult, even in hard places. And so this idea of exiles comes from the, the Old Testament. And one of the main places we see that is when the people of Israel were sent as exiles to Babylon. So think of the story of Daniel. People came and took Daniel and his friends out of their home, took them to Babylon, where they were, um, you know, Daniel and his friends were put in positions of leadership. They learned the ways of the people, and yet God used them in that. But Babylon was not their final home, was not where they truly, truly belonged. And so um, for us, as we think about this this time of exiles, for, for Daniel and those in the Old Testament, the Jewish people at that time had to figure out How to live as exiles, how to maintain their faith in God, how to be people set apart when the culture around them was constantly pressing in. Babylon was not their true home, it was temporary. And it's the same for us and the purpose of this series, that as Christians... This city where we live, Montreal, this world, this is not our true home. Our home is in heaven. And so as the people of God, we are exiles, pilgrims, sojourners, simply passing through. So how do we live faithful lives in this broken world? And the book of 1 Peter helps us so much in this. We're going to read in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Um, And as we begin chapter 2 this morning, Peter's going to continue the flow of thought that the people of God are called to live holy, set-apart lives. Let's read together 1 Peter chapter 2. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. begin. God, we are grateful for your word. We're thankful for this time to gather together. And God, we ask that you would speak to our hearts, that your spirit would uh, reveal yourself to us. Let us listen. Let us have hearts of obedience. And we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So as we dive into this passage, I want us to think about this. Being an exile does not automatically make you effective. It's possible to be an ineffective exile. It's possible to be a Christian living in this world or living in this city, knowing that it's not our home, but we can still get sucked into the system of the world and become ineffective. So this, the world, the culture around us is actively trying to form us, to make us into its image, to get us to think and speak and act the way that everyone else does. And when this happens, when we do that, when we get sucked into that system, we become ineffective exiles, not fulfilling the purpose that God has for us. And so our question this morning is, how can we live as effective exiles? I think that's what, what Peter, as he's writing here and giving this instruction, he's trying to help them see like, hey, here's how you need to live so that you can be effective, so that you can be the people that God is calling you to be. Um, there's a, I have a, a quote here from Pastor Tim Keller, and he kind of addresses this question as well. He says, how does a Christian live as a believer in an unbelieving world? God does not want his people to either assimilate into the culture or to segregate themselves from the culture. But instead, he wants them to become part of the city, to pray for the city, to seek its peace and prosperity. Yet, God also insists that his people retain their distinctiveness and not compromise their allegiance to him. And I think that's so helpful to see that like we there's some some options that we have as the church as believers. We can assimilate into the culture, meaning that we can just kind of like become like everybody else. Or we can segregate, we can separate ourselves and say, no, we've got to kind of hide out over here. And yet neither of those things is what God is calling us to do. God is calling to a third way that says we are distinctive, we are faithful to God, and yet we are not separating ourselves from the world, and yet we're not assimilating ourselves into the world. So this this goes to this question, how can we be effective exiles? So this morning I want to look at our text and look at five characteristics of effective exiles. And kind of our main idea is a common theme of these. And it's really simple. And our main point is this. Effective exiles live differently. All right? So that's not earth-shattering, uh, an earth-shattering phrase. But you'll see how each of these five characteristics all play into that of what it looks like for us to live differently. So five characteristics of effective Exiles. The first one that we'll look at this morning is effective exiles build their lives on Jesus. So, this is central to this passage that for exiles to be effective and to endure the difficulties of exile, they must look to Jesus and build their lives on Him. And so, we see this in verses 4 and in verses 6 and 8. In verse 4, it reminds us, he says, Peter says, as you come to Him, talking about Jesus a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. So what he's going to go on to talk about in verse five is that we are like that as well as the church. But he says in the same way that Jesus was chosen by God, but rejected by men, we'll see in verse five, so are we. The church is built like living stones upon Christ as the cornerstone. And then when you look in verses six through eight, we see three different quotes from the Old Testament. And each of these refers to Jesus as a stone or the cornerstone. And kind of the gist of these verses is that God's plan was to send Jesus. And some of these are prophecies from the Old Testament that God was planning to send Jesus as the redeemer and that he is the cornerstone of our faith, the one we build our lives on. Those who believe in him will not be put to shame is what the passage tells us. And so in all of that, here's what I believe Peter is telling these exiles. He's saying, if you have any hope of enduring, of being effective, of living faithful lives, you must build your lives on the firm foundation of Jesus, the cornerstone of our faith. So cornerstone obviously is architectural language. The cornerstone is the first stone set in the construction of a foundation. And all the other stones will be set in reference to this stone. And this determines the position of the entire structure in the foundation of a building. And so this is the image for us this morning is that Christ is the cornerstone. And we as the church revolve around him. We position and set our lives in reference to him. We build our lives on Jesus if you, you know, Jesus is actually central to this passage. He is our cornerstone. He is the one we build our lives on. And so, church, we live with Christ at the center of our lives, the center of our church. We let him and his word shape how we live. He's the center of our worship, not ourselves, not something else. It is Christ and Christ alone that we look to, that we worship. And so by daily time in God's word, in worship, and in prayer, we cultivate lives of worship centered on Jesus. We submit our lives to him, recognizing him as both Savior and Lord. And so we live as effective exiles by building our lives on Jesus. And that's it's kind of like central first in this passage. We build our lives on Jesus Secondly, effective exiles are spiritually hungry, right? Is anybody hungry right now? Okay, we obviously all know what that feels like to be hungry. Um, If you want to put in the chat just to have fun, what's a food that you always crave? Or for those among us that are with child, what is a weird thing that you crave at this moment, right? I don't know, but... For me, it's like ice cream. I could eat ice cream anytime. I always crave ice cream. But we know what that feels like, right? And so here in verses two and three, Peter uses the imagery of a newborn infant longing for milk. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. The word long here means to crave or desire. I'm gonna read these uh cravings later there's people typing it's good I like it but the word longing means to crave or desire and so Peter's describing here for us this is how all believers should long for and depend on the Lord like a mother like sorry like a child with its mother this is such a great picture of spiritual hunger To say, God, I long for you. I desire you. I need you, just like an infant needs milk from its mother. And think about how much an infant depends on its mother, right? A lot, completely, right? Um, And the infant doesn't think. It doesn't think about. Sorry, think about. The baby doesn't say, "No, not no milk for me today." Right? I want chicken strips. No. All it knows is I'm hungry, and I need my mother, and I need. the the milk and the sustenance that that provides. So what Peter is telling these believers to long for, he's telling them to long for God in this same way, to draw their life and their sustenance from him. We see in verse three, he says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, and this points us back to Psalm 34 that says, taste and see that the Lord is good essentially Peter is saying, listen, for those of you who have tasted and seen the goodness of God, keep longing for that because he is what we need. And so how do we do this? So to be effective exiles, we, we, we are spiritually hungry. How do we cultivate spiritual hunger? And and what if you're not spiritually hungry? Right? I've been there in my own times, times in my own life where I I'm, I I'm not craving and longing for the Lord. And maybe you're there right now and you're saying, Okay, well, I don't feel that. So do I fake it? What do I do? How do I cultivate spiritual hunger? And I think some practical help with that is start somewhere. When I was a kid, I was, I'd always have to mow the lawn. Um, I, I talked to my parents sometimes. I think I was using a push mower at an age that was too young for kids to be using a push mower. Um, I'm, I'm thankful to still have all of my limbs um, because I, it was probably dangerous. But sometimes the mower wouldn't start and it had this little red, not a button, this little red rubber thing, and it's called a primer. And so it meant that the, the engine didn't have enough gas in it. You had to push that a couple times and the motor would start right up. If you push it too many times, it would flood it and that took a while to fix. But I always think about that. That that priming of that pump, that doing things that help get us started. And so how do we cultivate spiritual hunger? Honestly, I think the easiest way is simply to pray and ask. To be honest enough and humble enough to say, God, I don't feel spiritually hungry. Would you help me? Would you make me spiritually hungry? And then we look at spiritual disciplines in our lives. And these are kind of like appetizers at a meal, right? A good appetizer is not a full meal. It's to make you, ooh, what's next? What's the the good part of the meal? What's coming? And so sometimes these spiritual disciplines, that's why the, the word discipline is there. We keep them in our lives because they help us cultivate spiritual hunger. So times of prayer, times in God's word, times with the church community, times of worship, times in discipleship, in the moments when we're not feeling spiritually hungry, we come, we say, God, would you help me? And we read and we pray and we keep looking to him. And what happens is we prime the pump of that spiritual hunger. It's part of why we exist as a church to help each other in that, to be spiritually hungry. And So if we are to be effective exiles, we will cultivate a spiritual hunger for God. We will crave him and long for him and seek him above all else. Why? Because we know that without him, we are without hope. And that's the the underlying thing here that Peter is saying is like, you're helpless without God. So depend on him, long for him, seek after him. Third point, effective exiles live holy lives. Last week, Dylan preached from 1 Peter chapter one on the calling that we have to live holy lives. And so that theme is continued here um, in verse one, but then also in verses 11 and 12. And so to be effective exiles, we will live holy lives. In verse one, Peter says, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. You know, that, that word put away is not like, oh, put away your toys, like just put them somewhere. No, it is get rid of, get them out of your life. Because these are issues that make us unholy as a people. And then verses 11 and 12, Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul." In verse 12, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evil doers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. It is a call to holiness, to run from sin. He says, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. This is strong language to think about. There is a war for our souls. And the passions of the flesh, the temptations of the enemy are warring against us. And it reminds us to think again, the culture around us is trying to form us. For example, think about this war against our souls. Think about the current sexual ethics of our culture. Right? For centuries, Christians were seen as having a moral view of sexuality. Whether someone believed in Christ or not, whether or not people viewed the church or Christianity as having a moral view. But in our day, it has flipped. It's a day in our culture to seek to live with a biblical ethic of sex and gender. The culture, the culture actually views us as hateful and immoral. And so the culture is trying to form us into believing what it believes to living and acting the way it believes and acts. So how do we fight against it? And so Peter says, abstain, don't give in, live holy lives because it is, it is in doing so that the people around you see Jesus in you. And so to say that effective exiles live holy lives is also to say that unholy lives make us ineffective. When we do what everybody else does and live in a way that everybody else does and, you know, whatever it is, we all know those ways that we fall into sin, those ways that we are tempted, it makes us ineffective as the people that God has called us to be. And so, with God's help, we run from sin. And when we sin, we confess it and live with the hope that our holiness and our righteousness is found in the holiness and righteousness of Jesus. So effective exiles live holy lives, running from sin, pursuing Jesus. Number four, effective exiles live in community. Effective exiles need each other. And the unity and community of the church is vital for exiles. So look, we already saw in verse one, Peter says, put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. What's he doing? He's saying the goal here is unity and love for that community of believers. Let me see again in verse five where he says, Just like Jesus, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He's saying, hey, you, just like Jesus, are living stones being built together as a spiritual house. And Peter is giving an image of the temple, no longer a physical building necessary, but rather the people, the church are like living stones built on top of each other. And today we are like living Zoom blocks built on top of each other. And yet the the heart here is we as the people of God, have the spirit of God dwelling in us and we come together in community so that the world sees the people of God, the church. Not a physical building, not a physical temple, but the the temple of God is the people of God with Christ dwelling in us. We are the temple of the Lord. And he says, we are called to be a holy priesthood, offering sacrifices, offering worship to God, lives of worship. This, this idea of being built together as living stones, it speaks to the vital community of the church. And one author that I read this week, he said this, he said, in a world of you do you and keep your laws off my body and don't tread on me, we as the church must choose of our own free will to live under the authority of God's word and we must do so together. This is how we become effective by together gathering around Jesus, lifting our eyes to Jesus and following him. I think it's just worth reminding that being exiles does not protect us from disunity. In fact, it may make it harder at times. It is only by God's grace and a desire for holiness that will lead the church to put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy, and envy, and slander. And these things will constantly try to creep in and derail the church, making us ineffective. So my question with this point is this. Are you living in community? And it's not easy, because it's way easier to avoid community. But it is so much better for you to live in community so my encouragement this morning is seek it out. Start a conversation. Check in on people. Be the first to confess sin or to start a real vulnerable conversation. All these things build an enhance community. Pray together, laugh together, encourage each other, have each other's backs. I think what Peter's trying to communicate here is we won't survive as exiles alone. We need each other. As living stones built upon Christ. Final characteristic, this morning, effective exiles embrace their purpose. Verses nine and ten are, are maybe the most well known in the book of First Peter that many of us have heard. You know, you're a you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people belonging a people for His own possession. And these exiles, just like us, need to be reminded of who we really are. That through the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, those who put their faith in him are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Another commentary I read here says, Peter encourages the believers to hold fast, stressing the divine verdict about their identity. That they might be disparaged By their neighbors, but in God's eyes they are precious, royal, and holy. And as followers of Jesus, this is who we are. And as exiles, it brings us purpose. And effective exiles will embrace this purpose, which is what? To proclaim the excellencies of our God. You see this, you know, in these in verses nine and ten. He's telling them, this is who you are and it is for a purpose so that others will see Jesus. As exiles, we live with a story to tell how God has rescued us out of darkness and into light. And in verse 11 puts it so well. Sorry, verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And it gives us purpose to proclaim the glory of God and the goodness of God. So church, let's embrace our purpose. Living lives that proclaim the greatness and glory of God because we are not purposeless exiles. So we live with the knowledge, you can live with the knowledge that God has put you exactly where you are for a reason. In your job, in your school, in your home, whatever it is, God has put you there for a reason. And maybe this is a little bit too simple, but sometimes with our kids, we sing that old song that says, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's what Peter's getting at here. Hey, people of God, church, exiles, let your light shine. Proclaim the beauty and the goodness of God in all that you do. And so we can daily, Lay our lives down before the Lord and pray, God, use me today. Make this practical this week. This is my encouragement. As you go through your week, each morning, say, God, use me today. Give me eyes to see people the way that you do. Give me open doors to share the good news, good news of Jesus with others. Give me opportunities to serve people. Then wait and watch and obey and trust his leading in each moment. And you might feel inadequate, you are, I am. You might think you don't know enough, you don't. But the good news is this, is that God isn't looking for that. He is looking for humble people who depend on him and who can't contain the joy of Jesus in their hearts. Effective exiles embrace their purpose. And so again, as we, as we wrap up this morning, the phrase I think that kind of sums all of these things up is this, effective exiles live differently. I just, I, I, this just really kind of caught my attention this week as I was thinking about, you know, you, we, can, we can live in this world, we can live in this city, and we can say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, and yet we're ineffective because of sin, because of just laziness, because of all kinds of things as humans. And my hope and prayer for my life and for our church is to say, let us be effective exiles as we build our lives upon Jesus. And what is the reason? Why do we live differently? Why do we pursue this? It is because of the work of Jesus in our hearts. We need to be reminded of the gospel moment by moment, that on our own, we are lost and broken and without hope and stuck in our sin. And yet Jesus And his love and his grace has come, has stepped out of heaven, has lived a perfect life, gave his life on the cross and rose from the dead and welcomes us to come to him, not by our own goodness, but through faith. He welcomes us to lay down our sin, to repent of our sin and put our faith in him. And he saves us because of who he is, not because of what we have done. And he rescues us out of our sin And this forms and shapes our identity and this propels us out to proclaim the goodness of God. And when this is centered in our hearts day after day, makes us effective, puts us in a place to believe what is true, not to believe what the world would say about us. It is the gospel working in us daily that makes us effective exiles. So this morning, we're going to take some time and split into breakout rooms. Um, if, you, if you are able, I encourage you to, to stay and join with those, and then we'll come back together and close in a song of worship. And uh, we have some simple discussion things um, in the breakout rooms. And also today, some time as we think about living on mission and being effective exiles, we have some time to pray for people around us who don't know Christ and asking God to rescue and save people out of their sin. But maybe today you need to come to a place again and say a a place of fresh surrender To say, God, would you make me spiritually hungry? Would you stir in my heart? Would you remind me of who I am in Christ and to build your life upon him and rest your life upon him? Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.